0: Hey, ebook readers, right now, the Flight Attendant Joe series ebooks are only $2.99. That's Fasten Your Seatbelts and Eat Your Fucking Nuts, Flight Attendant Joe, and I'm just here for the layovers on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo, $2.99 each. Hey, everybody. If you enjoy listening to Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, now is your chance to become a patron of the podcast. Go check out www.patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant show. There's different tiered levels and each of one of them comes with something special and unique, including... The Friday Debrief, which is a short podcast episode that I record on Friday mornings, just me and my coffee, and it's only available on the Patreon page for patrons. So again, check that out, www.patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 29 of the Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe podcast. I'm gonna say it like I always do, can you believe we're at number 29 already? I wanna thank every single person that has come onto this show and chatted with me about personal things, about life, uh, like having difficult conversations. A lot of people don't wanna have difficult conversations. And when I set up this podcast, the tagline was, Because life gets turbulent and we're gonna talk about it. And hopefully that's what I'm doing. I'm I'm having these kind I don't recommend this is where you get all your information. You need to have the difficult conversations yourself with somebody who might have a different color skin than you, somebody who believes in a different religion, somebody who may not agree with your lifestyle, just sitting down and maybe hearing a little bit from them. I know it's difficult. Listen, I tried to watch Fox News the other day and my I made it through 25 minutes, which I'm very impressed. You guys know I'm not a Fox News kind of guy, but I listened because I wanted to hear what the other other side was saying about the protesting and the rioting and stuff like that. So right now, America is upset. They're very angry. Citizens of America, I think, are just fucking done with the bullshit, and they've taken it to the streets. We've seen this before. You know, when somebody says, I don't know where this is coming from, I immediately think, um, 29 years ago, Rodney King was got his ass beat, and 30 years later, 30 years later, now people are being killed in the street on camera. Mind It it blows my mind. But that's what we're talking about today. Today we're having that difficult conversation about things you might not want to hear, you might not want to accept, you might disagree with 100%, but I'm going to ask you if I can listen to Fox News for 25 minutes. (laughs) You can take the time to listen to this honest, open dialogue about the history of what's going on in the world, all the way from the Civil War to last week. I mean, there's so much. And if you take the time, I'm not telling you what to do, but if you take the time, you listening to this, if you take the time to learn a little history, and I'm not saying you're stupid, I'm not saying you don't, but if you take the time to just learn a little bit about what's happened in the last 400 years since the um, United States citizens brought over slaves from Africa to this day, you will understand why people are so mad. You will understand. You might not agree with, I wouldn't smash that window. I wouldn't burn that police station down, but I promise you, you will understand why they're so angry. And when we understand why people do things, we're halfway there in the conversation. My guest today is Craig the Writer Stewart. He's written so many books, I had to write them all down. <laughs> He's got words never spoken. One thing for certain, two things for sure. So much to say. And we talk about his newest book today, Book of Jewels for Personal Development. He's also the host of the podcast. So much to say. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we had a lot to say today. We did some talking. We talked about this show on Netflix 13th from Slave to Criminal with One Amendment. I recommend you watch that after you listen to this podcast episode. Again, we talked about his book and how it took him eight years to write it. And he had to wait until he was ready to write. It. We talked about protesting and rioting and difficult conversations and integrity. And sometimes you might not be able to have that much integrity if you're living in survival mode. This was a deep, deep, honest, truthful conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Craig to the show. I'm so nervous, but hey, everybody. Welcome, Craig, the writer, Stewart, to Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe. Craig, thank you for being on my show. I'm very honored. I'm so
1: excited. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, please. you know, so every, so everyone know, I'm very excited. I'm very anxious. Um I have so much I want to talk to you about. But before I get started, I want to let everyone know everyone know that I met you back in twenty sixteen when we were at the Outright Book Festival, and I got to sit next to you and I got to, read out loud from my book but i also got to listen to you reading from words never spoken which was your first memoir and i got to buy your book right from you and i'm holding it in my hand and it's a signed copy and i i love it
1: well thank you so much and you have first i need to congratulate you on your podcast it's amazing like what can happen in four years you know what i'm saying like you weren't doing a podcast four years ago
0: No, I was very anti-podcast. I did not want to do a podcast. (laughs) I was like, I had this thing in my brain where I was like, I'm a writer and that's what I'm going to do. I didn't want to, I was, because you know, when you write, you know this, you're an author. When you write, it's a solo, Mm -hmm. it's very personal. It's just you and your computer. And, but when you do something like this, you know, you're putting it out there. Like when you write a book, eventually people are going to read it and then they're going to either like it or hate uh-huh. it. But when you do a podcast, you know, you record it and then it comes right out and then people can either hate it or love it. So I was afraid of that. So I had to grow as a person before I could do it, but thank you. Right. You're on, you're on a podcast too. You, um, I, your is your show called? Say, uh, so much yeah, to say, so much to say. Right. Yeah. How long so have you been doing say. that?
1: So, Oh, uh, May 1st, Made, I want to say four years. Oh wow! Look at I think you. I think it's been four years. That's yeah. Awesome. I think it's been four years, Joe. And you, but, get... yeah. You and I met in Washington D.C. Yes. And um, I, I mean, I was drawn to you like as soon as we met. You know, I remember we. T- I, I thought your your first book was so funny. Um, it, tell me the title, yeah. I know it's about the flight attendant. I know it's a flight attendant, but I cannot. I, and I bought the book, but I just cannot. And I can see the cover in my head, but I cannot remember the title.
0: It's um the first one when I was there it was fasten your seatbelts and eat your fucking nuts.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's it. Fasten your seatbelts and eat your fucking nuts. And I remember you reading excerpts from it and I just thought it was so funny.
0: What I, I really I, did. What I remember from that day <laughs> 'Cause I'm so awful. Is I just remember you reading these personal, so important stories of your life. Rashad reading about like how music impacted his growing up and then me just throwing out dick yeah. jokes. Me telling dick jokes and being inappropriate. But it was a great balance. It was. But that was a great balance. It was a great balance. And that's what
1: that's what art does. That's what that's what books do. You know what I mean? It allows people to escape through to different you know, different fantasies, if you will, different stories, different worlds.
0: Oh, absolutely. That's the beauty. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned something mm-hmm. that I was going to talk to uh, later on, but I just want to hint on it now. So I don't forget, you said something about you were drawn to me. And in your new book, which is titled, I am sorry, I'm a mess. I'm so nervous talking to you like I've never met you before. Don't um, be nervous. Don't be nervous. In, in your new book, Book of Jewels for Personal Development, you talk about how people were drawn to your aura and or they just saw you. you. You share a story about you were working as a host in a restaurant and a woman called you over and she was like, what do you do? And you're like, I work here. No, no. What do you do? And you know, right. that is how I felt when I met you, when I sat next to you on that stage, I I felt this man is important. His What he has to God. say is important. Now, I'm jumping ahead to the book, but I want to rewind a little mm-hmm. bit, and I want to know if we can talk about the current events and what's happening in the United States right now.
1: Absolutely. Um, and interestingly enough, I, like you were saying a moment ago, you were resistant to doing a podcast because you had it set in your mind that you were a writer. You were going to write books, and that was what you wanted to do. But underneath that, there was that fear of being so exposed and getting that immediate feedback that p- could potentially be negative feedback. You know, if you did the podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, the same was true for me. So at that point, I was writing books. I'd written my first book, and you know, soon after was going to write the sequel. But I was very much so reticent to be so visible on social media. Again, in the way that you said you were resisting during a podcast, I didn't want to be visible. I didn't care if people knew what I looked like, if, if people knew who I was, or if people recognized me in the street. I never I never wanted that. Um, but then what I realized was I had to have a, a very honest conversation with myself and I realized that God will dream a bigger dream for you than you will ever dream for yourself. And I believe that a part of the reason that quote-unquote success whatever that means and whatever that looks like for you um for me it was it was stagnant if you will because i was resisting i was resisting the bigger the bigger dream the bigger picture that god had for me you know because i was like well no i don't want to do that i just want to do this but i started doing more in front of the camera i started to use my social media in a way that i wasn't using it before before I would post pictures and from book signings and pictures of books and, you know, that kind of thing. And my my social media started to plateau. Like the following didn't, wasn't increasing. Um, I, I was getting the same amount of likes and comments on my posts, whether it was on Facebook or Instagram. And it wasn't until I started uh, working with uh, the Queen's Supreme Court Show, which is an online show hosted by T. S. Madison
2: mm-hmm.
1: that it was I had invited her on my podcast, so much to say. And that particular day she said to me, well, I understand that you wrote these books. Because at that point I had three books by the time I met her. And she said, Well, I understand that you have um these books. She said, But you're you're not gonna really sell these books until you get in front of the camera. She said, Because people have to like you. Mm-hmm. She said, and you have the personality. She said, You have to get in front of the camera. So I say all of that to say, uh, in a very long way, to come back to answer your question about what's going on now. I've now sent. I've started a, an extension of "So Much to Say" podcast, and that extension is my YouTube channel, where uh, so the opening for my podcast is "Good Day Thinkers, Thought Leaders, Progressives, and Dreamers." I'm Craig the Writer Stewart, and this is "So Much to Say." These are my thoughts in my voice on black shit, white shit, gay shit, and everything in between, and then I go right into whatever the conversation is. Well, I've just started streaming on YouTube probably about a year ago. Okay. I was already streaming on Facebook, but I started streaming on YouTube and Facebook simultaneously about a year ago. And just recently, and when I say recently, I mean in about the past week or a week and a half, I started an extension on my YouTube channel called So Much To Say YouTube TV. So it's still like my podcast, but it's just like these quick-witted, things and thoughts and ideas that i have about what's going on in the world it may not be political as you know it's the riots and the, and the and the petitioning and stuff that's protesting that's happening it could be something like i'm not sure if you guys are familiar but Lil boosie he's a he's a rapper and he's talking about just a couple of weeks ago he was talking about how he had his 14 year old son dick sucked by
0: a grown woman
1: and Damn. I to speak about how Yeah, I wanted to we talk are, about how dysfunctional that was.
0: We are 8 minutes <laughs> into really this and you just dropped this. But yeah, that's Yeah, that's like, pretty that's it's very dysfunctional. How old How old again?
1: His son, he said his son was 12 or 13 at the time and not only did he have his son get up by a grown woman, right. but also his nephew his underage nephew. And, and and so I wanted to speak about that so On my YouTube channel, again, there's a section called So Much to Say YouTube TV. And I open with good day thinkers, thought leaders. And I talk about that. So I just recently started talking about the state of what's happening in this country. And there's a video over there where I talk about the riots and the uh, protesting. But I also talked about, um, there was a white woman in New York called Amy. Her name is Amy Cooper. Oh, I know that bitch. Yeah, that story. You know, oh, we're gonna talk. T- t- yeah, t- guy, I have that written. Yeah, down the to black talk guy about. asked yeah. her if she could put her dog on a leash. Yeah, that's and all he did. She, you know, so yeah, and so you know, and I, I talked about the whole George Floyd thing, the guy who was just killed in Minnesota. So I've been, I've been. Not only do I talk about what I try to do, just like I do on so much to say podcast, I try to talk about things that are socially relevant. Like I'm not going to use my. YouTube or my Facebook to get on there talking about what's happening happening on the real Housewives mm. of Beverly Hills or Atlanta or any other show um, because that's not that important to me but if I can put my quick wit and humor to a serious subject matter whether it's uh, the George Floyd thing or, or the the little boosie thing that I was just telling you about I want to be able to do that because I want to challenge what people think and that's what I try to do in everything that I create even with the books I want to challenge people, To see the world or life or situations different from what they would have seen. it. I want to expand the way that they think. I want to stretch the way that they think. And I've been very clear for a long time that what I was called to do, because I'm a very spiritual person, not religious, very spiritual. Mm -hmm. I believe that I was called to bridge community. I believe that what I was called to do, my work, through my work, or now through my personality, because I have to start to think that way because i'm so used to just being behind the camera you know what i'm saying so i am learning that what i was called to do was bridge communities through my personality and through the art that i create whether it's the podcast whether it's my books, whether it's my greeting card business because i have a greeting card business and each card is written in such a way that any card to be given to male or female because the card is really about the emotion so there isn't a card that's going to be like oh girl or (laughs) <laughs> uh, right. when you love a woman da, da, da. it's not that it's all about the feeling uh, it's all about the situation so that's what I try to do with it in a card. Uh, I try to do that with every single thing that I do and it's about bridging communities whether it's black and white people whether it's gay and trans people black gay people and gay white people uh, black people heterosexual people and black gay people it's about bridging community and I just think that that's what one of my biggest uh, life goals and what I was called to do.
0: And I think, you know, when I've read your books, I've read two of your books, and Mm -hmm. I know you from social media, I've heard you speak, I watch your videos, and that is exactly what I believe that you are meant to do. Um, one thing I just mm-hmm. went so I did a little of my homework. I'm going way off script now. I did a little of my homework and I watched 13th because in your new book, you, oh, you, you read reckon- it. I told you I do my homework. I had to do my homework. I was like, I cannot have Craig Stewart on my show and come off like, what? <laughs> no. So yeah. Right in, the, in, <laughs> right in the dedication, you recommend to watch this documentary on Netflix, which is called 13th um, – I have it written down here somewhere. Um, 13th – where is it? Where is it? Oh, why am I can't find I it? I believe it's called 13th uh, – From, from slave, slave to Criminal to- with One Amendment. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I watched it. Of course, I was very upset about it. I had to go for a walk. And when I went for the walk, mm-hmm. I was thinking like, I have to make sure I tell Craig never to stop writing. Never to stop doing what he's doing Aww. because your voice Thanks. is something we need you. We we definitely need you, you specifically, doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I I feel honored to know you because I know the message that you're delivering. Like when you said, "I'm not talking about the real housewives of Atlanta. I'm talking about <laughs> some <laughs> some rapper who's letting his 12-year-old boy get his dick sucked by a woman." Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. that's just as wrong as letting your 12 year old daughter screw some adult man. That I don't get. Right. That right. makes it's no like, sense. How is
1: what he did any different? Right. It's like, how is what he did any different from what R. Kelly was
0: doing? Well, unless or, the woman was or, or, pissing or, you, on the shit. <laughs>
1: Oh, no. Right. Right. Oh, oh, right. That, that's, the, <laughs> that's the new one. Right. Or right. Woody Allen, for, for that matter. You know what I mean? Right. So, we wouldn't that's allow true. an underage girl to be having sex with a grown man. So, why would you think that it's okay? Because, underneath all of that, this is really a conversation about his fear that his son or his nephews will be gay.
0: Oh, yeah. Which
1: makes... is a whole, whole other conversation.
0: That's an entirely different episode. But, you know, episode, I, yeah.
1: I really. App- it, that's a whole different one. Yeah. But, I really appreciate. That you, as a white man, could find the value in what I wrote in Book of Job, because the dedication it says dedicated to black people. Mm -hmm. Now that doesn't mean that I only want black people to read it, not at all. Right. But I wanted to really make something in particular for us. again. Anything that I write, just like with Words Never Spoken, when I sat down to write Words Never Spoken, I sat down with intentions to write that book to and for black gay men. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't want women to read it. Now, Joe, to this this date, more women have bought that book than gay men. Mm -hmm. But when I sat down, it was my intention. to. But it doesn't mean that I was excluding women in the same way that I'm saying with Book of Jewels. I'm not saying that white people shouldn't read it. Hispanic people shouldn't read it I'm just saying when I sat down to write this book I wanted, to, I wanted to speak directly to black people Because And it was important for me to say that In that dedication Because I don't know if you know this Or as many people outside of the black community Are aware of this But in the black community It is a well known fact That if you are an entrepreneur If you are an artist that oftentimes there's this conversation of, well, you want to be inclusive. You want to make sure that white people feel included. You know, just like in the whole movie industry, there's this idea of white hope. Like these movies that have this theme of white hope. Like, uh, what was the movie with Sandra Bullock and she had the little black boy who played football and
2: she oh, took
0: them the into bl- her house? The Blind Side? The Blind Side. Was that it? Okay, yeah. Right, The Blind Side. Right.
1: So movies like that, where the white person, the white character is like the savior, the, the white person comes through, that's the, that's the, what's called the white hope. And there's a theme, that's a, that's a real thing that happens in a lot of these Hollywood movies, where there's this white savior that comes through and saves the day and makes everything better and just da 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 And I remember reading an article and it was saying in the article that the reason that that's done is because, even like with... Um, the movie with uh, Taraji P. Hinton and Janelle Monet and uh, Octavia Spencer where they, when they were the mathematicians. Yes, that's uh, a good movie. That movie, movie. Was called uh, Hidden Figures. Yes. Hidden Figures. Even in that movie, like the woman, that Catherine uh, Johnson, that uh, Taraji played, she was, I don't know if she's still living now, but I, I believe she may be. But she was living when they did that film and she said that the way that, that certain things happened in that movie did not happen in real life. So, for example, if you saw the movie, there was a point in the movie where she had created the math for them to figure out how to launch that space shuttle out um, into mm-hmm. space. And so there's a movie, the, there's a point in the movie where Kevin Costner invites her in, because her office was separate because this was during segregation. So her office was separate. She had separate restrooms, but they, he invited her in to see the launch. And she said in an interview, that never happened. She still had to watch it from her desk. They didn't even invite her in. And there was this idea of this white hope. This good white person that existed in the movie. And this article that I read said that the reason that Hollywood does that is so that white people living today don't feel that there weren't some good white people at some point. Or white people today can, the good ones, quote unquote, can see themselves and say, oh, I would have been that kind of white person. And so for me, I wanted to write this book and specifically say, this is for you, this is for black people because, you know, I've been challenged as an artist, you know, I've written a stage play before and I've had people tell me oh, you need to diversify it so that, you know, because white people need to be able to come to this play. Or, you know, white people need to be able to read this book. And it wasn't until, you know, I did a lot of research on Toni Morrison when I was writing my first book and I remember seeing an interview where she said she was interviewing with uh, uh, Charlie, is it Charlie Rose? Oh, yeah,
0: the one who... me tooed. Yeah. Yes. Yes.
1: And she said to him, "She said, you know, I write for black people." She said it so matter of fact, without an apology. And and I, and again, it's not just about artists. Because even black-owned restaurants sometimes feel like they have to go out of their way to cater to black to white folks to the white customer. And you'll sometimes see it. And again, I don't know if you've ever paid attention to this, if you've ever noticed it. But I have noticed it as a black person that sometimes I have gotten even subpar service from a black-owned business owner right in my face. And then they turn right around and look to the white customer and say, Hi, how are you? Oh my God, yeah, come on in. They're so friendly. They hmm. they roll out this five-star carpet, this, this, you know, this five-star customer service. Because somewhere in their mind, they were taught and programmed to believe that. You have to... The only way that you're going to succeed is if you if you earn the white dog. Because, obviously, the thought is, the idea is, the black community is not enough to sustain your business.
0: Hmm. Well, I... Um, you mentioned... In your book, you mentioned the word white gaze. Is that kind of what this is? Mm-hmm. I've never heard that term before. Is it kind of like the idea of... As a black man or a black woman, it's like I, I there's something in the the brain that says I need to be approve I need the approval from white people or I, I care about what uh, yeah. what white people think of me. Where does that come from? I
1: first heard the term white gaze from Toni Morrison. Okay, and in one of the clips that I saw, she said, "You know, I'm no longer." In fact, I pulled that clip from Charlie Rose and i put it in my promo video for book of Jewels you know when i launched the book and, she, and i have a clip of her saying it and she says you know i'm i'm no longer concerned with the with the white gaze because again oftentimes as artists we're we're taught that you have to be concerned with how white people are going to see it that's what i mean by white gaze okay you have to be concerned with how their how are they going to see it from their lens through their life experiences you know but Tony Morrison really empowered me to be able to speak flat-footed, unapologetically, and say, listen, just because I'm for black people doesn't mean I'm against white people. It's not that at all. But I just feel like if I'm not going to... If a black artists, and I'm a black artist, if black artists aren't going to tell our stories without concern with what white people think, then our stories will never be told. Because we already know that our stories aren't really told through Hollywood. Right. And when they are, they aren't totally, totally told correctly and accurately so if we're not going to do it then who the hell is going to do it you know what i mean right so and i couldn't and i couldn't not be and i couldn't allow myself to be afraid to to speak so boldly in book of Jewel because a fear that well maybe it will affect your book sale you know what i'm saying i couldn't worry about that you know what i'm saying i I I appreciate that yeah i had to really and then here's what i learned. Joe, white folks who really understand exactly what i'm saying and really understand the climate of what's happening now and previously in this country aren't offended by what i said they're not because they're as frustrated with the shit is the shit as we are right you understand what i'm saying and so i literally just had this conversation last night with a good friend of mine and i was saying to him that i think sometimes we ascribe black when I say we, I'm talking about black folks or, or marginalized communities, period. I think sometimes when we ascribe certain things to racism because there's so much of it that it's hard for us to kind of figure out if it's racist or if it was just bad customer service or if it was just a bad experience. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um and it's hard to figure out for lack of a better word, who the good white people are.
0: I could see that. And even like when that. I moved
1: you, you, yeah and even like when i moved through my day as i was saying to my friend yesterday i'm even know i've even noticed in the past few days since george uh, floyd was killed that i have come in contact with white folks that have smiled a little more or have tried to be even more friendly to in a way in a, in a subliminal way i think of letting me know i'm not with the shit. i'm not with all of this you know what i'm saying like yes. it's almost like they're trying to in a non-verbal kind of way, let me know that the state of this world or this country right now is is, is not okay.
0: And how does that make, does, does that make you feel good? Is that a good thing? Because I'm not going to lie. I actually do that. Like if I'm going, uh-huh. if I'm somewhere, I'm actually extra nice to my black fellow citizens because mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like there's so much hate and so much ignorance from so many white people in the world that I have to connect with you. And I have to let, you know, I'm not down with all that stupid shit. So right. and, and sometimes I question myself because, you know, as a white person, I, I understand my privilege and I understand that I'm very lucky to have the opportunities that I've had. And on a re- um mm-hmm. on a past episode, I had a friend on named Keisha and we talked about race and racism and we shared a, a story about how we were both in the wrong, we were both pulled over by mm-hmm. cops. I got mm-hmm. off. I was sent away mm-hmm. home. She went to jail. Mm. So mm. I- I'm so aware of it. But d- does it matter if I'm like if I see a black woman or a black man and I smile more and I'm I'm I just want to connect with that person to say, listen, like you said earlier, like, listen, if I lived in that time. I think they mentioned this in the 13th movie. A lot of white people watch what happened. They watch that movie. They watch history. They see history. And if I was back there, then I wouldn't have let that happen. And I always say that. And then when I watched this movie, (laughs) I was like, how do I know I would have said that because people were so dumb and ignorant and brainwashed, Mm -hmm. you know, and that four hundred years, white people have been programmed to be afraid of black people. Right, for no reason. And I really like, think that that,
1: yeah, and I and I really think that that's at the base of all this happening. I, I said that on my YouTube channel the other day. Like, I really do think that because I mean we've known since probably I was in high school, and I'm 44 now, but I remember them projecting back then that the majority would be hispanic people and then followed by brown and black people you know what i mean so we knew that like by the by the year 2020 whatever it was you know what i mean i remember them talking about that forecasting oh yeah and i really do understand i really believe that at the base of all of this racism even when it when trump was first talking about getting mexicans out of the country that's really what it was about it was really trying to control the numbers and when you see all of these black folks unarmed black folks getting shot and killed mysteriously on video, sometimes not on video like Sandra Bland, It's no accident. I really do feel like it's a way to try to exterminate and control the numbers.
0: Well, let's go back. Um, Let's go. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean mm -hmm. to interrupt. No, no, no. Go ahead. Well, no, I wanted to talk about, you mentioned um, earlier, Amy Cooper, and I really wanted to talk about that before we talk about um, the police in, in general. You know, because people say, "Oh, there's good cops." Yes, there's good cops. It, it's really not the Absolutely. individual people; it's the system that's broken that it's needs to system. be torn down yeah. and rebuilt. And it goes back to mm-hmm. the um, the reconstruction after the Civil War up until World War II, where you mm-hmm. know, once once the slaves are free. And please, you're you're going to know this more than I am. So if I have any mm-hmm. facts that are wrong, please. Okay. Please correct me, right? Because I'm not into the fake Mm -hmm. news. And if I'm wrong, I'll say it. But, you know, during that time, it was all those white people, white politicians who were actually telling white citizens, like, we have to be careful because now that the black people are free, they're going to try to take over. Mm -hmm. They're going to do to us what we Mm -hmm. did to them. And we can't have that. So we need to put down, we need to hold them in place. And I don't honestly, but I honestly believe a lot of Uneducated, I hate to say it like that. But a lot of white people don't even realize that because oh, I'm not black. Why should I worry? But you should worry because this they're all fucking Americans. Oh see, see, I should've warned Mm -hmm. you, I get very Mm -hmm. emotional about this shit. No. no (laughs) I get really you know I get really riled up. So I'm I'm I don't mean to I'm not yelling at you.
1: (laughs) No, but that's a good thing. That's passion. And you know, and here's what I would tell you. You can just echo what you just said. Oftentimes, and I've never been in a conversation like this, but I have a friend who uh, works in the fashion industry and, you know, they all went out to dinner one night and this was right when Trump first got into office and it was mostly, he was the only black person there and it was mostly, uh, I think it was mostly white women, but there were some white guys there as well and they were all just talking about how they voted for him and um because of the tax benefits and like and he he was so passionate but he really couldn't express himself the way that he wanted to because they were saying how um they voted in their interest and his his concern was well you weren't concerned that he was talking about just pulling people ripping people out of this country and just all of the things that he was talking about and some of what they said at that dinner table you know that he relayed to me was that oftentimes people just don't want to work for what they, with, with, you know, the things that they need. You know, they, they they were talking about how they worked for everything that they had and just, just completely oblivious to their privilege. And here's what I will say. You know, are you familiar with Black Wall Street?
0: Um, Was that in the South? It was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yes, well, and uh, 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 yes, yes, I do know. I know. I know. What's, yeah, yeah so, go ahead.
1: You know, white folks, at one point we're really pushing for segregation. Separate, you know, separate schools, separate this, separate that. And so one of the reasons why I think going back to what I was saying earlier, just to kind of connect that thread, part of the reason that I think there are some blind people who think that they need white dollars or white support or white customers is because it reaches back to segregation because if we if, if we can segregate we can desegregate we can get the the dollars from the white community and dollars from the black community and we can be the successful business but the but the truth of the matter is and i'm not at all saying that we should be separate the point that i'm illustrating is there was a time that we had no choice but to be separate and out of that separation was uh was black wall street you had black owned businesses grocery stores laundromats anything that you can think of. We were self sufficient, mm-hmm. self-contained. Million dollar businesses. Many of them were million dollar businesses. And you can you can look this information up. It was burned to the ground by white supremacists. What I read So on one hand Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say I what was I, just I had read. Say on one hand <laughs> Go ahead I'm We sorry. we keep side at the same time. Okay, I was gonna say on one hand, you know, white folks and I'm not I don't mean all white folks. But on one hand, you have white folks who say, "Well, you know, they just need their own stuff. They need their own, you know. Just we just need to be separate. Don't mix. Don't marry. Don't love." But then, when we did that, it was burned down because they saw the potential. They saw
0: the power. Right. Right. Um, and, and, and white so, people are or, afraid or, of that. White people, you know. Right. You know. You know. Today too. Today too. But a hundred years ago, what I had read was you know, black, um, white people were seeing like, why the hell does this black man have a piano in his house and I don't, shit, I don't, that is, that's right. not that's not America. That's not the way it should be. And right. that ignorant thought, and you would think a hundred years later, people wouldn't think like that, but somehow mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost like, I shouldn't say it's coming back. It's been there, it hasn't gone anywhere. And when you hear white people say, where did this come from? You wanna smack them because you wanna say, No, no, it's not new. This isn't new. They're not pro, you know, George it's just another situation now that it's on camera. You know, there's always been protesting. There's always been racism. Now it's getting caught on camera and you're all getting caught.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, sadly, a lot of times white folks just aren't aware of their privilege. This was, again, was a conversation that I had just yesterday. and. I'm a person that believes that it's intellectually lazy for a white person to live, exist, breathe in 2020 and just be so oblivious to the privileges and how the, the, the playing field is slanted and has always been slanted. But I feel that same way about black folks who still believe that it's wrong to be gay and believe that you just need to pray the gay away. Mm-hmm. I feel the same about both things. It's intellectually lazy, um, but what I will say is, even when you when we saw those uh, those those Hollywood people that were um, and I can't remember Lori Laughlin and uh, the woman who played in Transamerica when they were cheating to get their kids in these Ivy League schools, they were paying. And and when that whole thing happened, I'm gonna tell you what I was thinking. I was thinking like, you already have this privileged life. The world, the country already moves in your favor. There are already bends in your favor. And then you still have to go and cheat to get your kid in an Ivy League school. And it's like, think about all the black kids or the kids of color that don't even have the basic opportunities that you have. And then you still have to try to, to
2: mm-hmm. cheat
1: the system. Like to me, it's just like, but that kind of thing happens all the time. Yeah because racism isn't just about how people treat you it's about the things that they exclude you from too wow
0: that's i've never thought of it that way but that's true it's not just yeah that makes sense you know when i yeah. when 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 the, felicity huffman when that situation happened what you're talking about my thought was mm-hmm. you know she went to jail for what 10 days 10 days That's what that was her, and then it makes me think of the black mom who got like five years in jail for lying about an address so her kid could go to a different school.
2: Exactly, that's
0: where my brain goes. My brain goes. I, and I love how you called um, it lazy, black, white, whoever, like if you're not paying attention to what's going on, you're fucking lazy because how can you look at that and not say, Oh, this person is privileged. Like how the hell do you send a mom? Mm -hmm. Who's trying a mom who's trying to get her kid into a better elementary school or middle school or whatnot. And you have this white rich woman who just spends 10 who lied about Actually, she lied about the SAT scores. They have false SAT Mm -hmm. scores. Mhm. Uh, mhm. How mm-hmm. can you How as a black man do you wake up every morning and say I'm going to get through today even though I know the world is against me? Mhm. And you know I uh, know I'm asking you how do I, you do that? How do you do that? I don't well, I what don't I, have yeah, the
1: strength. I wouldn't have the strength. Well, that's what I was just going to say. Honestly, Joe, I can't say to you that I can feel that. Like, I don't feel that every day that I live, every day that I move. I know that racism exists. I know that it's there. I know systemic racism is there. I think that it, it rears its ugly head for me if I am stopped by a traffic stop or, you know, by an officer and I have to go to court for a traffic stop. It's, it's instances like that that it pops up for me. I can't say to you that I feel it every single day. Now, I'm sure that there are people that feel it every single day, mm-hmm. but, you know, I, I don't work for a corporate company, so I don't, I don't, I bypass it in that arena, you know what I'm saying? so I, I I'm sure any person of color or black person that works in corporate America, they feel it every single day. Um, or, you know, depending on, you know, what, what your life consists of, my life doesn't consist of, of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I absolutely know that it's, it's a real thing. Um I guess I can probably if I pay closer attention to it probably can notice it if I'm, you know, in a particular restaurant or a particular community, you know, something like that. But I other than that, I don't really let it consume me. I notice it in instances like this when the country is on fire, for
0: sure. You're a very strong person. And I I think that makes sense to me because if you allow it to consume you every day, if you woke up thinking that every single day you would probably live a very miserable life, you'd Mm -hmm. probably just be so angry all the time, you couldn't even enjoy success, you couldn't enjoy your life, your children, because you would be consumed. And I kind of went through, I'm not going to, I'm not going to compare myself to a black person, but I kind of went through that mm-hmm. with the whole um, equality marriage thing as a gay guy, I would wake up yeah. angry. I was angry for weeks and weeks and weeks and it became exhausting. And at, at some point I was just like, all right, um, I'm going to have to stand up for myself. I'm going to have to talk about this. I'm going to have to try to get, um, Uneducated straight people to understand why this is good, mm-hmm. but other after that, I have to kind of just see what happens. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, and see, the thing is, you have to multiply that times ten. Right. Yeah. That's why that's people of color. Right. That's why at mm-hmm. the beginning of because, the sentence, I was like, I'm not comparing. I could right. never. Right. Know, no. No. I got you. And my goal and, in and life. I think too, Joe. Go ahead. Go ahead, what's
1: your goal in life? I was going to say, my
0: goal in life, I know I'll never be able to, I can never say I understand what black people are going through. My goal in life is to understand why we are at where we're at today. Mm -hmm. I want to know why this happened. And. You have to study history. You have to watch these documentaries. You have to you can't be lazy. Like you said, I fucking love that. You cannot be a lazy American or a lazy human being and then just be Intellectually shocked. Lazy. Right. And then be shocked when the country's burning. The co- this has been right. this has been this has been setting up to happen for a long time. So don't be shocked. Don't be yeah. shocked. Yeah.
1: And it, let me I want to add to something that I said a moment ago in terms of like black folks to feel that pressure every single day i'm sure depending on what community you live in as well if you live in a in an underserved community you feel it Policemen patrolling the neighborhood constantly helicopters patrolling the neighborhood constantly going into a grocery store with subpar uh, you know lack of quality groceries you know what i'm saying so i'm sure you know, you could, you would feel that every single day. So I don't want to minimize that
0: at all. Right. No, no, but, you know, everyone has their struggles. And I think right. that's why, you know, white people have such a hard, so so white, I, this is my opinion, white people with white privilege, a lot of white people can't even accept it. And we are not going to move until we can accept that. Yeah. The color of my skin makes life a little bit easier because when I'm like that example, I used with Keisha on my episode with her, you know, I get pulled over. I'm 17 years old, do not have a driver's. I don't even have a driver's license. Right, And he's like, and I'm like, oh, I left it at home. He's like, okay, go. And then Keisha gets pulled over and she's got a friend with her. Um, Her license is suspended, which to me is the same thing. You don't have, we both don't have a license, right? Technically. Mm -hmm. And um, she's driving. She's with a, a friend of hers who's black. The cops start harassing him for his driver's license. He's not even driving. Long story short, she ends up getting arrested. And, um, we just shared on the episode, we shared these situations and I thought it was so important for those people out there who are like, no, no, there's no such thing as white privilege. No, there is. And by denying mm-hmm. it, you are denying everything that's happened to black people over the last 400 years. And it's getting old.
1: Right. And and then the only way that we can have this conversation too about white privilege, or I should say, we can't have this conversation about white privilege without having a conversation about the head start that white folks have had over black folks. And I'm, I'm, I'm speaking in particular, the current generation and several generations before that. Like when I watch HGTV. Okay. And I see a young couple, 25, 27, and they just got married, a white couple. And they've just gotten married and they're about to buy their first home. And they ask, well, how much are you going to put down on your first home? And they have eighty thousand dollars, one hundred thousand dollars, that their grandfather or their grandmother put in a trust, or that their parents gave them as graduation gifts from college. And like, black folks don't have that kind of privilege. We don't have that kind of luxury, and it's not because black folks haven't worked. Because I just explained the whole Black Wall Street thing, but also because most of what we've created and curated was taken from us. I'll give you a very basic example i used to watch uh antique Show, and i've talked about this on my live before and there was a white woman that came in she had a floor pot one of those ceramic floor pots and the appraiser said to her do you have any idea what this pot is worth and where did you get this you know it's been passed down in my family for years older white woman and there was a name scrawled at the bottom of the pot it said dave and he appraised the appraisers "Oh, he was known as Dave the slave, and his slave owner used to commission him oh my God. to create all kinds of pots, and then the slave owner would sell that stuff to you know the locals as as as, as income." So and they're they're actually saying that they're,
0: they're saying this on the show. Yes. Oh my God! Go keep keep going, keep going! Wow. So
1: they, so they this pot had obviously been you know, passed down generationally in her family. And here she comes with the pot, had no idea the history of the pot. She just knew it been passed down in her family. The appraiser said to her, do you have any idea how much a pot like this? And it had a little crack in it. He said, but there aren't many of these in the world. He said there are a few of them in some museums around the world, maybe three or four. Something like that, he said. The pot was worth upwards of 60 grand, okay? Okay. My point is, if Dave's black family had gotten that 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 pot, that would have been a step up for, for Dave's family. It's no different than the Jack Daniels story. Jack Daniels cognac. Mm-hmm. The, uh, there was a slave who formulated that, but the family who owns it is the family that owned that slave. That black family isn't benefiting from that. So it's, it's those things like that that we've been that that have been taken from us. And my point is generations of the the, the the family that were related to the Jack Daniels creator they are pro- some of those people probably on uh, public assistance probably didn't have money for college you know what I'm saying but if, if that money was directed the way they were supposed to be I can give another story the Henrietta Lack story if you've never heard of the Henrietta Lack story it was a black woman from Baltimore my hometown and Johns Hopkins researched with her cells to this day, every, every, every major medical breakthrough that science has discovered came from the use of this woman's cells. Mm. They never compensated her or her family. So it's just things like that that have been taken from us to handicap or ha- handicap us, to cripple us. And that's why I say in the dedication of Book of Jewels, we've managed to create such a beautiful life for ourselves with the scraps that were left for us. And when I say the scraps, I don't just mean the scraps of resources that we've been able to send ourselves to college or start a business or own a home. I'm talking about even the scraps of it that were left for us in the slave quarters as food. Soul food originated from the scraps. The pieces of the pig that the white mm-hmm. folks didn't want. Right. The pieces of, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. we've always been able to, do something with
0: the scrap. Well, you guys are survivors and yes. you, you know, I want to talk about the pot for a minute. That story, I'm amazed that, mm-hmm. you know, did do you? I wonder if this woman like said, All right, I'm going to sell this, and I'm going to find this peep, these, this family, and I'm going to give them this money because that's what you would, oh, should, absolutely th- not, of course, but that's it's what you should have done. Not.
1: That- that woman probably, and I don't know this, this is just my mind as a writer going. And i said this on my <laughs> life. I said, that lady, I, said, I said that lady probably took that money and put it in a trust for her grandchildren. So when right. somebody gets married, she got $25,000 for their marriage or a down payment on their home or a down payment for them to start a business or for them to go to college. And I think about if, if my family was able to will money to me or leave money to me in that way, or oh, just think about the people, people of color. Period. If we were if we were that fortunate, the playing fields would be a lot more level.
0: You know, there's a book out right now. Um, on my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page, I wrote about a book mm-hmm. called "The Color of Law." Have you heard it? Have you heard about it? No, I haven't. Okay, I haven't. Um, I'm, I need to look up the author. Well, it's right here on my bed. But um, so the color of law. It's it's written by a professor, and it's about how the government segregated neighborhoods after world war two and how you would come mm-hmm. and i don't think a lot again i go back to the i just don't think people know that's why it's like as white people don't be lazy read and understand so that when you mm-hmm. see angry black people or angry white people or any angry person who's upset with how the people of color are treated for the last 400 years you will understand mm-hmm. and so you know and correct me if I'm wrong, of course, but, you know, after World War II, the heroes come home and, you know, the black folks and the white folks serving in the war. Everybody's a hero. Everyone comes home a hero. The white guy, we'll call him Dan. Let's call him Dan. Dan, that's a white name. Dan mm-hmm. goes to the Dan goes <laughs> to the bank. Dan's like, hey, I want to buy, I want to get a loan. I'm going to buy this house for my family. And the bank's like, you're a GI. Mm-hmm. Here you go. We're going to give you the best interest rate. And then the black guy goes in. He's like, hey, I'm a GI too. And I want to buy this house. And they're like, I'm sorry, we Uh can't give you a loan because that house is in a white neighborhood. Uh So, so then what happens is, and correct me if I'm wrong. So what happens is then there's all these horrible white people working with the government who is, is managing segregation, whether you want to believe it or not. Uh It's a fact. Uh And. They go to these white neighborhoods and they knock on the door and they like, hello, Mrs. Johnson, listen, the black people want to move into this neighborhood and you're gonna, it's going to ruin the neighborhood. You might want to leave now. Sell us your house. No, so then the white person, this white realtor, horrible human being buys the house, goes to the person of color and says, hey, I'm going to give you a loan for this house. But the loan interest rate is so fucking high and it's, and the rules are so horrible that you miss one payment or one thing happens, you lose the house. Then this white guy sells the house, and now takes it back, sells it to another person of color and continues that whole process. So what happens? You don't have that opportunity to have your family, like you said, with the pot or whatever, like the, there's no like, Hey, I'm going to leave this equity in this house to my children. So you're not get you Mm -hmm. Craig, aren't getting any, you know, equity from the house that so-and-so or whatever owned, because it, they made it impossible. And, and is that a good explanation? It is Okay.
1: I mean, that's a very, that's a very basic explanation for anybody who, who refuses or, you know, t- tries to pretend that they don't understand.
0: Well, I've been called for a sure. basic bitch. So I <laughs> <No>. <laughs> if I give a basic answer, that's all I can do, Mr. Stewart. No, but no. And no, I, I didn't I, mean it in no, that way. No, I know. I know. I'm just kidding. But you know me. I'm, I got to be, know, but there's, gotta be there's, there's actually, there's, there's actually a television
1: show on Apple TV that speaks to what you're talking about. It's with Samuel Jackson. And um, Anthony Mackey. It's called The Banker. Excellent, excellent, excellent movie. And I, and I spoke about it on my live, like just telling people that it's a great show to watch. And like I said, it's on Apple TV. And it basically talked about how they were both, in, they were black investors and how they had to hire a white guy who would go in and be safe so that they could buy these bills. And he didn't have the money. They had to teach him everything in terms of the law and how real estate works. And then, of course, they funded it. And, but he had to be the face because, and this is based on a true story. Because they wouldn't allow this was in the '60s, and um, they wouldn't allow black people to buy. Probably they were basically buying banks, is what they were buying. Mm. Wow!
0: But, yeah. And it's called the Banker. I'm gonna have to check. The, oh, I it's don't. Have, oh, banker. I don't have app. I'm one of those weird people that doesn't have an iPhone. But I bet you, oh, I, okay. I need to try to find that because I'm, I'm so, I'm so interested in how all that played out, because I think that's so impactful for where black people are today. And when I hear white people say we haven't held black people down, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to need you to rethink what you're, what you're saying Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. it's just a fact. It's a fact. Don't deny it.
1: And as I talk about in the,
0: in the dedication of book of jewels, I talk about how at
1: one point I used to be ashamed of the, uh, alcoholism rate or the incarceration rate in the black community but when you think about the domino effect of all of the stuff that we just talked about it, it really can crush a people a community of people and that that that's part of the reason why the alcohol rate or the drug abuse rate is is what it is in the black community because after a while you know you get knocked down so many times and
0: you know what i mean Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, it's, it's just continuously happening and you have the, you have the lazy people, the way lazy white people who are just, they don't want to know because maybe they think, Oh, this has nothing to do with me because I'm not black, Mm -hmm. but it does have something to Mm -hmm. do with you because you're a human being for Christ's sake, excuse my language. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But speaking of your book, book of jewels, which I think is fantastic. I want to talk I, I already oh so, you know you said that you wrote it for black people and I'll explain to you how and I and I find that to be fantastic and I I love that you're so honest in this book you're very very honest and mm-hmm. when I was reading it I could tell that I was like he's this his target audience are are black people I could I got that right what I felt mm-hmm. like I was I felt like I was in a in a big lecture hall and you were telling stories to people and I was lucky enough to be in the room. Mm. I was lucky enough to be invited in and said, hey, you don't look like an asshole, come in. Let me, you know, I'm going to share stories that my people or black people are going to resonate with. You're not black. You might not resonate with them. But if you're a decent human being, you're going to connect. So I I have so many notes to talk to you about this book because so many things (laughs) in this book resonated with me. And one of them was, like I said, when you recommended seeing the movie 13th, which is for people who don't know 13th abolished slavery, the 13th amendment abolished slavery. I'm, I promise you people don't know that. And, um, what, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just call it the way it is. I, I bet you, if you yeah. walked out on the street, if I went across the street and asked my neighbor, do you know what the 13th amendment was? Do you know what the 19th? No, they don't know the shit. All mm-hmm, these Americans mm-hmm. who think they're patriots and they don't even know the shit. It drives me absolutely right. crazy. But. In this movie that I watched, they have they they talk about the the movie The Birth of a Nation, which was a huge fucking racist dumpster fire movie. And there's mm-hmm. this scene where it's so disturbing. I'm not gonna lie, when I I, I cried when I watched this movie, but um, mm. and I'll tell you I'll tell you at the point when. So, but there's this point in the movie where this white woman they she jumps off a cliff. <laughs> Because she just thinks that some black man's going to rape her. Like, not going to. Mm-hmm. You know, he's probably not going to. He's probably just walking by. But they set mm-hmm. it up mm-hmm. where she literally kills herself. And and in the movie, they're like, she'd rather die than be raped. And, and he's not even going to rape her. He's just walking by. And so it started making me think of how white people are always believed over black people. And mm-hmm. then I started thinking of Emmett Till, which is the part mm. of the movie when I cried. And um, and mm-hmm. for people who don't know who Emmett Hill is, he was um, a 14-year-old boy. He lived up north. He was down in the south visiting his family. He went into a store. Some white woman apparently said that he flirted with her later oh, on. Decades later, she said, I, I fabricated the story. And he was mm-hmm. basically beaten to where he wasn't even recognized
1: and his mom demanded that the casket be opened cuz yes. she wanted to see what you know how they had killed him
0: exactly it's almost kind of like if it was today people would be filming it on a phone right you're going to see this cuz you need to see what is happening to a 14 year old boy but like i said so it started make me think like they immediately believed this woman over this kid right just without mm-hmm. even without even any judgment and so then I started thinking, why are black people guilty before they're innocent? That was one of my thoughts, right? Because it's supposed to be mm-hmm. you're you're innocent before you're guilty. But in history, and even last Monday, when that dude killed George guilty before innocent, and then I started thinking about Amy Cooper, you know. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm. I'm, yeah. I'm. getting a little emotional. I'm sorry. So, um, I get angry. I get angry. I, I should have warned you about that. So, um, and mm. you know, Chris Cooper, the guy who's just like, "Hey, could you put your dog on yeah. the leash?" Because I'm trying to look at birds. And then she he was bird watching. Bird yeah. watching. Bird watching. And what makes me. What makes me think Amy Cooper is the devil is that. When she's talking to him, she's all angry and she's yelling at him. And then when she gets on the phone with nine one one, she changes her tone. Now she's afraid. Now she's scared for her life Mm -hmm. from a bird watcher. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he forgave her. He forgave. You know, she apologized because she got. You know. But my point of this story was she was being filmed. And she did not even care. That is how privileged this woman was. She was so privileged in her whiteness that she was being filmed acting out like this, didn't even give a fuck, still believed that when she got on the phone with 911, the cops were going to come and arrest this man. And we know what happens when white people call the cops on innocent black people.
1: She knew exactly what she was doing.
0: But he forgave she knew her exactly. He's forgiven her on, like, he's gone out and said, "I forgive her." Now, my question to you is, oh, do do you think that black... I think
1: sometimes? Go, go, yes, I think I already know what you're going to ask. Me. What, I am, I gonna ask what folks, am I going to ask you? What am I going to ask you? I think sometimes black folks are too forgiving. Yes, that was the and question. I think, <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that some. I, I think there's a pathology though. I think that reaches all the way back to slavery. And I know a lot of times people don't think that, you know, that there's still a connection and, you know, but I do think that there's still a connection there because even when you, sometimes when I, there was a time I used to take public transportation, like in high school and that kind of thing, you know, you're taking the bus or the train and I would sometimes, or sometimes even now, like you see, you're in a grocery store and you see a a parent, a black parent, really, really lecturing that child cursing the child, get your dumb ass up, get your your little, get your black ass up, or whatever it is that they're saying. That reaches back to slavery, because black parents were so afraid that if their child made a mistake or fucked up in some kind of way, or just was, God forbid, just being a child in front of their master, it could, it could, the result of that could be them being whipped, it could be the result of them dying or being sold off to another plantation. Right. And then you don't even so see your kid ever black again. Black folks, yeah. slaves, black slaves at that time would say, oh, master, he just, he's just a dumb nigga. Get on up, nigga. That's how they would talk to their children, because they were just trying to excuse the behavior. And, and, and we see a different incarnation of that. It. It's the same thing. You know, when you see a black parent, get your little dumb ass up, or whatever it is they're saying. Like, that that public humiliation like that, there's a connection to that. But the point, you know, to to, to continue the point that you were making, I think that sometimes black folks are so ingratiating. And there's this desire for some to be finally seen as human by white people. Like I said earlier, I've been places and I've seen black people go out of their way to be extra nice and extra kind to, to white people. I I, I was on a, I was on the plane. I was on an airplane. I was actually, I was on the plane train, like inside the airport where it takes you from one concourse to the next. Mm -hmm. And I remember being on the train and it was a button. We were standing up, standing room only. It's no, there were no seats. And I remember standing to the, to the back window, to the back door. And there was a black girl that was on the train. She was standing in front of me. And then at the next stop, a group, it was maybe two or three white people may have gotten on. I don't remember. But there was an older white guy that bumped her back. She had a bag over her shoulder. And it, he bumped her bag, and she turned around. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. And she, she was so over the top, ingratiating. Oh, no, it's fine. It's okay. She smiled. And, you know, she was just, uh, I mean, she just seemed so out of her body to me. And I don't know this girl, but it just seems so provoked and it just seems so calculated. And she's like, oh, no, it's okay, it's (laughs) fine. You know, just extra laugh. And I just felt in that moment, if that was me and I had bumped her back, she probably would have given me a, oh, she probably would have nodded and turned back and looked the other way and that would have been it. But because it was a white man or a white person, because I don't think it was just because he was a man, I think because it was a white person, she felt the need to be extra congenial. Be, you know what I mean? It's almost, right. almost okay. you know. And I think that sometimes black folks go out of their way to 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 be resolute, to be kind, to be seen as, um, oh, that was a pleasant black girl. She's not an angry black woman at all. Like, go out of our way. Not an uh, hour, because I don't do it. But
2: I think there are
0: black <laughs> I people. I hope you don't. <laughs> right. I hope you don't.
1: Right. Right. I think there are black people that go out of their way. defy the stereotype that they think white people may have again concern with the white gaze
0: back to the white gaze because you're just you know here you are you're your own person and as a black woman or a black man so many of them i feel like they still need to get that approval from master, a validation from the master even though yeah you know even though they haven't lived during slavery, it's almost like it's engraved in black DNA and you have to fight it. You have to fight and say, no, I'm not, I don't need to get their approval. Fuck them. It's a pathology. It's a pathology and it it travels generationally, you know, and to your point,
1: you had said something earlier and I, I, I meant to touch on it. Like you said right now, because of the climate of what's happening now in the country, you feel the need to be extra nice to people of color or black people. It is kind of the same thing. It is kind of the same thing. Um, Because would you
0: otherwise do it? Well, yes, I'm always nice to people. (laughs) But I, (laughs) I, well, I'm a bitch a lot of the time, but that's not because of some, (laughs) you know, I, I try to look at people like, if you're an asshole, I don't it doesn't matter if you're black or white, you're an asshole. So, if Right. You know, I was in Vegas once with two two white friends. We were walking down the street and this black guy walked up and he asked for money. We were like, "No, we don't have any money. We lost it already." And he he for some reason he started hounding my friend. And I was like, "Yo, back off. Leave us alone." And he goes, mm-hmm. "Oh, what? Are you scared mm-hmm. of the black man?" I said, "No, I just don't like assholes." And he looked mm-hmm. at me And it was like this moment of he was, we we made icon. I was like, no, I don't give a fuck. I don't like assholes. So move on. And I would have said that to a white person. And the way he looked at me, it was almost like he got it. Like we got each other at that moment. It was weird. It was so weird. And, and, And see, and that's what
1: I was saying to you earlier. I think sometimes we, black people, because we see racism so much and in so many forms that it's hard to differentiate when it's racism and it's when it's just actually, this is how the fuck I'm going to respond. Like, I was just saying to a friend, we were watching um, a million, no, Little
0: Fires Everywhere. Reeves oh, that was so good. Yeah.
1: I mean, Reese Witherspoon and uh, you, Carrie, said Carrie B-
0: you said Holly Bear. You Berry. You are such a black, you are a bad gay black man, but go on.
1: Yes. I meant to say Carrie Watson. I saw her face in my mind, but I don't know why the hell it is.
0: It was very good.
1: Remember yeah. the Okay, so remember the scene with the with the I can't remember the oldest daughter's name, but she was dating the black boy. Uh-huh. And remember they were at the drive. And uh the black girl was at the drive thru and she handed her the food and the and the white girl said, Oh, that's not what I ordered. Da-da-da-da. Right. And then um when she stood back, the white girl said to her boyfriend, her black boyfriend, she said to him See, this is why they,
0: why they, uh, this is why they work <laughs> Right, she made it like this is why she works here. Now, my
1: thing is, this is what I said to my friend,
0: <laughs> Craig, Craig, Craig. The connections, the connection is messing up. The connection very well is messing said up. that
1: if the bro- okay. Oh, can you hear me?
0: I can hear you now. You kind of broke up there, um, but now, now you're back.
1: Okay, so when, when, when the white girl said see, this is why they always work in fast food or this is why they, you know, this is why she's working, at, they, they work in fast food. And from the black boy's perspective, he interpreted it as racist because he felt like she was saying it because it was a black girl and she said, day, this is why day. But she may not have meant that from a racial perspective. It could have been day, meaning people who work in fast food. Right. But because issues are so sensitive, we it's, it's, it's sometimes very hard to separate the racism from no. This was just a situation where you know because if the girl who was at the drive-through was a white girl, she very well may have said the same thing, and the black boy would have never said anything about it.
0: Right? Yeah, that makes sense to me. Well, when you've when you've lived s- decades and centuries of living with racism. Of course you're going to be hypersensitive to it. That makes sense to me. You know, if I said something and if I said something to you and you were like, what the hell did that mean? I would clarify. I wouldn't be like, Oh God, you know, what's wrong with Craig? I would be like, all right, Mm -hmm. remember Mm -hmm. where he's coming from. He's coming from Mm -hmm. a a different place than you. And I think that's what happens. You know, you know, people just don't like anything that's different, but right. Um, God, this conversation is we, we so are,
1: are great. Because we are the sum of our experiences. We're the sum of our experiences. The total sum.
0: Well, what do you think? Okay, so let's go to. Are you there? I'm here. Okay, um, let's go to the protests. I want to talk. Like, so with the protests going on right now, the protests and the riots and all that such. It's almost, it almost seems different than before. You know, almost 30 years ago was the Rodney King thing. Here we are in 2020, same fucking situations happening. We don't learn, nobody learns, nobody learns, but it almost seems different. Does it seem different to you this time? Like people Uh are real, like, and I hate to say people are really fed up, but I almost think that this is it. This is this is the change that's coming. This is it. This has to happen.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. I wouldn't say that it feels different to me. It it feels the same. Um, what what I think is disappointing is that, like you said, thirty years ago, here we are, thirty years later, and it's the same. And I'm not a person that thinks that there, that racism will will be cured. I don't think that that will ever happen. Um, and, and, and what I think is important to note is every country, or every every country, has their thing that they that they di- discriminate for. Right? In this country, it's skin color, mm. but in certain Asian countries, they discriminate based on the eye fold, your eyelid. You understand? what I'm saying because some, yeah. depending on which, whether you're talking about Chinese people or Japanese people or Filipino their eye folds are different. You know, and just you know, since we're talking about race and race and, 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 and all of that kind of stuff, you know, often as kids, we say Asian people or Chinese in particular is what we usually say. Chinese people have these slanted eyes. but well, they don't have slanted eyes. Their eyes aren't slanted. They just have a larger eye fold. And so it covers more of their their eyeball. And so it looks like but they 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 discriminate based on that. So every group has their thing. So I don't think that racism will be cured in the United States, but I just I just would have imagined that we would be so much further along, especially right after having a black president. You know, I just felt like we were moving in a in a in a more progressive direction. But I was listening to the Breakfast Club yesterday. It's a it's a it's the number one urban syndicated radio station in the in the country. They're out of New York. And Russ Limbaugh was on the show, which is completely unheard of because they are the complete antithesis of what he is. Okay. And he was just outraged by this whole George Floyd thing and killing, murder. And he wanted to be on the show and really talk about, you know, ways of, you know, b- bridging the gap and how to, you know, dismantle all of this racism, this systemic racism. But he, again, I applaud his efforts but he was completely oblivious to his privilege, to white privilege. He just basically said he thinks feels like that that's something that the Democrats have conjured up. <laughs> white privilege. Um. I mean, it was just, it was just, it was, it was very telling. But it right. made me think that there are white people that are just they're just unaware. And again, I think that it's lazy, intellectually lazy. But there are white people who just don't know. Um. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I don't know. So I don't, I don't think that it's different. Like what we're okay. seeing now versus what we saw with Rodney King. I just think that, again, you know, these cell phones and social media coupled together have become the best surveillance, you know, and to make everybody aware like this stuff has been going on. It's just that right. we, we get the information in real time now and it, and it spreads across the country and around the world within minutes.
0: Which I think you know. I think I'm 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 so against. I'm not a big fan of social media. I use social media because I have to, um, for the podcast uh-huh. and for the stuff. But this is one of those times mm-hmm. where I'm like, I'm glad we have social media. I'm glad everyone has a phone in their po- a camera in their pocket. I'm glad that you know maybe there's somebody in a certain part of the country who's so oblivious to what's happening with racial disparity in our country sees something and thought thinks, holy shit, that's happening. I need, we need to stop that. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. hope that like, Mm -hmm. like like I still have some hope for that. I mean, that's what, that's why that's what I'm doing this podcast for is to have these conversations to get people to hear different outlooks or talk like a black guy and a white guy can talk about white privilege and no Mm -hmm. one's upset like like you'd say to me like joe you you could say to me joe we all know your white privilege and i would be like yeah like i'm not offended and i know i personally know white people who when i start talking Mm -hmm. about white privilege they act like i'm i'm attacking them as a person and i'm like this is way right. bigger than bitch. This is way fucking bigger than you. Settle down. You ain't that important. Right. This is this is something that is so much bigger that's been going on so much longer than you're like twenty six years on the planet. So relax. <laughs> it, does that right. make sense?
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, it does make sense. And I think and I think a part of the the denial is a fear of if I acknowledge this in some way, somehow I'll have to give up some of my privilege. And what I'm very clear about is we all have privilege. And, and I write about it in Book of Jewels. Like we all have privilege. Trans women who can pass, who can move through the world without anybody knowing that they were not born female. They have privilege over those who cannot pass. Right. Oh yeah. You did talk about that. In the we, we, book. Yes. We, yeah, we, you have gay men who can pass as straight. Thank you. So they have privileges. You know what I mean? <laughs> so every community, you have privilege. There, there are privileges. So we, we all have to acknowledge our privilege and use our privilege in whatever way we can to uh, move someone else forward. Right. Because for me, success is not about how much money you amass, but living your life in such a way that someone else breathes easier because you live.
0: Absolutely. You know, you just mentioned um a th- like if white people have to admit white privilege exists, then they're afraid that they would, mm-hmm. they would have to lose some of their privileges, but that's not true. It reminds me of uh, it th- one doesn't equal the other. You know what I mean? It's it reminds me of mm-hmm. when um when, you know, same-sex marriage um or marriage for everyone was on the table and there were straight people like this is going to ruin my marriage. How the fuck is this going to affect you?
1: Like, meanwhile, the, the divorce rate was already right. over 50%. Meanwhile, like,
0: meanwhile, you're fucking tweeting that gay marriage is bad, but you're watching a TV show that says married in 65 seconds. Like, settle down. Like, you're bro. such a hypocrite. I can't even take you seriously. Right, right. Uh, that, sure. that really, I remember when that was happening because they would be like, I'm like, there's TV shows out there. Our president's been married like three times. Don't talk to me about I'm going to ruin your marriage. I've been with my husband for 16 years. You would need to take a seat before you fall and hit your head again. Oh, wow.
1: 16 years.
0: Congratulations. Well, thank. Congratulate him because, you know, I'm the one who's a handle. I'm the one who's difficult. <laughs> He's easy. I'm the troublemaker. But <laughs> in um, I want to go back to the book for a minute. So in chapter four, in um, cha- in the chapter difficult conversations, I live for difficult mm. conversations. It's fantastic. Uh, and um, of course you talked you. you talked about oh, so great. This book is fantastic, ladies and gentlemen. You ha- I don't care what color your skin is read this book. There is, you will connect, you will connect to a part of this book. I don't know what part, but you will. And you shared Mm -hmm. about how you were in a car accident with a friend and their insurance company Mm -hmm. wasn't giving you enough money. And you were like, shit, I have to take care of myself. So you sued the insurance company now. And then you your Mm -hmm. friend kind of, I think he probably took it personal. Do you think you could have made that decision to put yourself first earlier in life? than when it happened. Oh wow. I think my life
1: would have would have would have gone in a different direction if I put myself first. Sooner. Because that's really what that, that you know, that the underlying theme of that right. when you hit the nail on the head is putting yourself first because if you have car insurance, that's what the purpose of car insurance is for.
2: Exactly. And I
1: was hurt. <laughs> It wasn't like it was a fender bender, and I said, "Oh well, I'm gonna sue your insurance company." You know, I was hurt; like I was bleeding on the scene. You know what I mean? Like I had a uh, I had a limp because I had sprained my ankle. Like it, it was a mess. I had a it was it was horrible, and that that was just that was a quintessential example of putting yourself first, of choosing you first. Um, but if I had done that sooner in life. I think about relationships that I would have probably avoided. But of course, then there would have been lessons that I would have never gotten, or I wouldn't have gotten at that point. That's the chance I would have never gotten, but I wouldn't have gotten at that point. Um, But even going back to um, my career, like I was saying earlier, I was afraid of being in the front or, or in the forefront of people seeing me and knowing who I was. Like I never wanted that. But I think I held myself back until I finally let that go and move forward. But even prior to that, I remember being nervous of being the first person in my family to be successful because I felt like the burden would be on me. Everybody would be relying on me. Everybody would be calling me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just didn't want that responsibility. And, and so I think in subconscious ways, I don't think I was very conscious of it, but in subconscious ways, I think that I kind of stalled My own success, if that makes sense. Um, But, you know, if I had known then what I know now about choosing myself first, I I would have never allowed that to deter me or to slow me down.
0: That, that actually makes sense because, you know, everything happens when it's supposed to happen. But when I read that chat, when I read that part of the book, I thought, I wonder, first of all, I wonder how old, he, I had three questions. I wondered how old you were at the time. I wondered if your friend was black also. Because I, at one point mm-hmm. I thought, I, I wonder if his friend thinks, yo, why are you doing, we're brothers, why are you doing this to me? I thought of that. And mm-hmm. then I thought, I wonder if he would have, Done something differently if he was younger and hadn't lived an, a long enough to realize. Hey, you know what? Yeah, that's why you have insurance. And I'm injured, and I'm fo- unfortunately I have to take care of myself.
1: Right.
0: I was 42,
1: and yes, he is black.
0: Okay. Was there? Was there a? Do you think it had to do with him thinking you were going like trying to bring him down, or did he take it personal?
1: I could. I would only be speculating because, okay. um, you know, we. I tried reaching out to him several times after that, and he just basically pulled back, slowly but surely. And then I reached out again, like months after that, and you know, he responded was like, "Yeah, I've been thinking about you a lot too. I really would like to sit down and, and t- talk." I don't know if it. So this is where I speculate. So I don't know if it was he felt like I was trying to take him down as much as if he was embarrassed. I kind of thought maybe he was embarrassed you know because when mm. we got into the car today you know he was very teary-eyed and he was just like I'm just so glad you're okay and he, you know he was just like really you know like near tears and then um, even that day that later that evening in the next day he, he texted and was like I'm, I just thank God that you're okay you know I'm just so grateful and just you know whatever whatever but so I don't know I don't know if he, if he was just embarrassed or mm. You know, or yeah, maybe, maybe he, he was, was embarrassed, angry. Yeah. yeah, or or if he was partly angry because I did end up suing the car insurance. You know, and again, the reason that I sued the insurance is because they had only offered they had only offered me uh, fifteen hundred dollars, and um, they had offered for pain and suffering, and then they offered five thousand dollars for any medical. But they offered that the same day that the accident happened. Like, I, I had only been to the, the emergency room. I hadn't started going to the chiropractor. Okay. I hadn't gotten any of the MRIs or any of that stuff. And I'm glad I didn't settle because the um, medical stuff ended up being, I think, about uh
0: dollars $10, to $10, $13,000. I can't even remember. Yeah, no. I you know, um, So, who would have filled in that gap? Right. No. Um. I, I'm, I'm completely on board with you, your decision. I would have did the same thing. In that same chapter, I, I, you talked about the Kevin Hart tweet, and I'm gonna, Stop. read- I'm gonna, I was, you putting that up. You were. I'm gonna read to you, um, something that I highlighted. This is from Chapter Four: Difficult Conversations. Again, uh, obviously, our society was a different place then. we and we're talking about the, the homosexual the homophobic tweet that Kevin Hart wrote about 10 years ago regarding his son. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, our society was a different place then, and we weren't as inclusive as LGBTQ people because there was no kerfuffle. So instead of addressing that truth, we focused on punishing and persecuting Hart for something that many people believed about gay people at the time in our society. I thought that was such a smart thing to write. Um, and it also made me think, why are we so uncomfortable not addressing real issues? in America. Mm. We want to like, mm. ins- like, instead of saying, yeah, think about that 10 years ago, it was okay to bash gay people on Twitter, you know, instead of saying, oh, he wrote that 10 years ago. Well, we're, I think differently now. So now I'm going to try to ruin his career, which I don't know if you know this, I'm very against these people who try, what is the term? Um, what is that term? Apple. Cancel. Apple yeah. I, I, you know, we, we love to not forgive, you know? So, yeah. um I just thought that was so smart but what 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 do you think brings why do you think we we as a society just don't want to face this true issues that are going on and we try to mask it with other shit
1: Well I mean I think we like to think in in, in an esoteric kind of way like we're, you know like we're always constantly growing and evolving and you know and, and that's great in theory. But the reality is, not everyone grows at the same pace. Not everybody grows at the same rate. And so, excuse me, while, you know, that that tweet was 10 years ago. And I understand the pain that it probably sent into the universe. You know, because I I see it as a vibration. Like, whatever energy you put out, whether it's through your social media or through your work, you're sending a vibration. And I think about the parents, black parents in particular that are fans of Kevin Hart, who may have seen that tweet back in the day, who may have retweeted it, who may have posted it on their social media, or who may have cemented their views about gay people because of what he said in that tweet, who may have abandoned their own child that happened to be gay because of his tweet and because of what he said about gay people. So I understand the impact and the damage that he could have done, but I also understand
0: that that was 10 years ago. And perhaps, he's and, he drunk, perhaps he's did, he he, and he apologized. Didn't he apologize ten years ago? He did. Yeah, right. He did. Right. And he and he
1: apologized recently when it resurfaced. He apologized again. And I just I just think that we have to leave room for people to be um, flawed. We have to leave room for people to um, to grow and right. evolve. You know, because I'm sure that there are things that I probably tweeted and said back in the day that you know that could resurface you know and here's a here's a really good example that i know for sure um that's personal to me i don't know about any tweet or anything like that because i don't think i would have tweeted anything like this but i remember i wasn't and probably 10 years ago shit probably five years ago (laughs) i wasn't comfortable i wasn't comfortable with trans people and right now i work with one of the most famous trans women in the world you know, but you couldn't have told me five years ago that not only will we be working together, but we, we've developed a friendship. Like we talk on the phone, like you mm-hmm. know, what I'm saying we'll go out to eat. You know, what I'm saying. And, and, but but what I am clear about is the issues that I had with trans trans people. And, and and when I think about the issues, I always think specifically about trans women. We often leave trans men out of the conversation, and um, and it's interesting because I, I'm I'm doing a panel. Conversation with trans men and women uh, Tomorrow, it's going to be tomorrow And I don't know when this podcast is going to air But it's going to be on my YouTube channel And Because again, I'm, I'm all about bridging community But I'm clear that my issue Or my discomfort with trans People had nothing, to had very little To do with them, it had more to do with me And where I was in my comfort level In my sexuality And I knew that if I was in too close contact with a trans woman, that that would have been too gay for the kind of guy that I was attracted to at that time in my life.
0: Um, let me clarify something. Sense? Yeah. So let me clarify. Um, mm-hmm. So in your, what you're saying is like, you were kind of nervous, like, Hey, if I associate myself with trans women, guys that I'm into might see that and think I'm so gay that they wouldn't want to be with me. Is that kind of what we're talking Yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: And, okay. and- and the guys that I was interested in were so closeted that they, they couldn't be associated with anybody that out. Because it wasn't it wasn't limited to just trans women. It was flamboyant gay boys, too. Right, right. I couldn't be that closely associated with any of that. So what I'm clear about is my views have changed on that. So isn't Kevin Hart entitled to change his views? Yeah, maybe he tweeted that nine, ten years ago. and Maybe he believed that then. But he could have evolved since then. He could have changed. He could have grown. You know, and I think we have to leave room for people to grow.
0: And I think that that that's so true. And thank you for being so honest about that. See, like I said at the beginning, I actually wrote in my notes, I wrote, what did I write? Where did I write it? Your new book is all truth. I wanted to make sure that I said that. Mm-hmm. And then you come on the show and you're just so easily, I'm, I can connect to you so well because I've had those moments too. And I've had moments where I've probably said something that I would be like, shit, I probably, we all have Mm -hmm. said something or tweeted something or done something. But the fact that he apologized was great, but Mm -hmm. I just didn't. And I, and I, and I understand the fact that, yeah, his tweet could have caused maybe somebody has a gay son and now they're like, Oh shit, you need to get out of the house. Um, Absolutely. Or could have pushed some gay person to go and commit suicide or Get on drugs, or you,
1: you know, whatever. I understand the damage that it could have caused.
0: And I don't. And I think it. I think his tweet. It, it, please correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't want to look it up right now. But I believe it had something to do with like if his son was gay, he'd smash a dollhouse on his head. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah, something, something like that. Like, yeah, it was something. It's something like he would kick his ass or something like that. Uh. Right. And it it was it was, uh, it, like if I read that, I would be like, oh, this is a comedian trying to. Be outrageous. And, mm-hmm. but, you know, a lot of people and, aren't like that. A lot of people don't look at comedians and say, oh, they're just trying to be outrageous. They, they, and, that, take it and, to and that's the, next the other level. thing,
1: too. It, and that's the other thing. It was 10 years ago, so he wasn't the star that he, he wasn't the wealthy star that he is. So he was on that upward climb. And, and then to your point, yeah, you may be rational enough to say, oh, well, he's a comedian, he's just trying to be outrageous. But what about the 14 year old boy that's not going to think about all of those that's different true. angles? you
0: know that's very smart so i mean
1: i understand the sense of responsibility because even now as my social media platform has grown you know oftentimes people will misinterpret something that i have said or something that i have posted and there are times there are times that i will go in and clarify but then there are times that i don't because i can't try to um because even the, the same is true even with the book like i can be a as I possibly can But that doesn't mean That it's not going to be Misinterpreted You know what I mean So oh, it's yeah. hard to try To go out And try to You know Make sure And put out All of these fires That may have Started inadvertently You know what I mean mm-hmm. So uh, Like for example Like I posted something On my social media Yesterday And it, it, In fact I posted two things And The first thing That I posted was Hey black men Both gay and straight Who date white folks As a preference make sure Blake and Karen pack you a lunch on your <laughs> way to protest with the rest of us. So, right. And, and then I posted this one.
0: Oh, I think I says, know which one you're going to say, and I I think I commented on it, but go ahead. <laughs> <Is> <laughs> Don't it...
1: open your mouth for black dick and keep it closed on black issues. Right. <laughs> and, and there were black gay men who probably date white men who got up under my comments and were like, oh, this is so racist, and you're saying that and then it was a white guy that was on my live last night who said, "Yeah, um, are you going to address the fact that you said that um, black people should date black people, white people should date white people?" I never said that. Right. That's not even what this. That's not even what these things say. These things are simply saying for the black men, straight and gay, who who only date white people, and you say you have a preference. Make sure that they are in they, they are in support of what's going on in the world right now.
2: Right.
1: That's what it's saying. It has nothing to do with whether or not you should date them or not. And so there's always room for people. The larger your platform grows, there's always more room for people to to misconstrue.
0: Oh, of course, because they're they're looking to point their finger at you and say, ha ha, I got you, Craig Stewart. I got you. Look at what you said. Yeah, that's just. I've been called I've been called
1: racist before. I've been called transphobic, like in recent, recent times. And I'm like, wait, 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 I'm transposing? Like, what did I do? You know what I'm saying? And even, and I have a lot of white followers that, that actively join my live and be in the conversation that support everything that I do. The books, the, the coffee mugs, the t-shirts, like the greeting cards, they support everything. But, but I think that they get what I'm saying. They're not trying, they're not coming on to my social media looking to misinterpret, looking to um, misconstrue. I think that
0: there's some people that intentionally try to do that. You know what I mean? I was called a racist recently on Instagram. (laughs) Because, (laughs) so, um, Kathy Griffin, the comedian, she posted a photo. I love her. I love her, too. And she posted a photo of this group of people that are... And I, I don't remember what they were doing for the government, but it was this group. of It was like five or six white people that were going to be in charge of something because, you know, it's it's the Trump era. So that's how it works. And mm-hmm. I wrote a comment mm-hmm. like, damn, I hope it doesn't start snowing because I won't see them because they're also white. I wrote something like right. that. I wrote something like that. So somebody come somebody I don't even know. And I just wrote it and then went on with my day. Right. Because. It's so non-diverse that you have you can't not ignore it when it's like five white men, right. four white men over 80, and then Ivanka Trump, uh, Ivana Trump or whatever the fuck her name is. So right. I wrote that and I went on my day. And then all of a sudden I look on Instagram, I got this tweet, I got this comment, and I look and it's on that post. And it's this guy saying, I just went through your Instagram page and you haven't had a black person on your uh, – he said something like, oh, how white of you to not even have black people on your – Instagram page, I looked all the way back to 2016. And my Instagram page is the flight attendant Joe page. It's not my personal page. Right? But here was the funniest part was the day he wrote that was the day my podcast episode came out with Keisha and it was called Joe and Keisha Keisha Keisha. talk race and racism. (laughs) And it was the fucking picture that was on my Instagram page. So he I I just I looked at I didn't even respond because you can't talk to these people. You just can't, right? Yeah, usually I don't.
1: Like I, I I make it my business to not get down in those comments and right. argue and you know, I just I just I'd rather use my energy for other stuff.
0: But I wanted um, to, right. Oh yeah. But I wanted to. I wanted to be like, you dumb fuck. But I was like, No, right. you you can't do that. Like he's an idiot. Don't even acknowledge it. Right. it. So every I didn't now and
1: then every now and then I'll get down in and I'll, you know because like for example, we're having this panel discussion tomorrow. With the trans community So we have met, We've assembled a panel um, <clears throat> It was myself and Derek J We host Derek J was on Fashion Queen mm-hmm. On Bravo But um, And he was on Burr Housewives in Atlanta But we have this these Panel conversations And you know what In fact I want you to be a part of the panel I don't know the exact date yet But it's about bridging the gap Between the white gay community And the black gay community So I think you'll be great for that Oh, but...
0: I will do anything you ask
1: <laughs> And so we're doing this podcast This panel tomorrow about the trans community. And and I noticed today when I woke up, one of the first things that I saw today was a trans woman, and she was under the comment, I mean, under the flyer. And she says, I bet they don't have any real trans women on here. They take their womanhood seriously. I bet it's a bunch of drags that call themselves Mm -hmm. trans. You know, a bunch of gay boys that still um, uh, uh, have their penis and all they do is talk about their penis and this, that, and the third. I mean, she just went on this rampage. And so I commented to her because I didn't take I didn't take car comment as an attack. I felt it was negative, but I didn't feel like it was an attack. What I'm saying is I avoid like personal attacks. Mm. But I I just simply said to her, I said if your goal was I said, um if your goal was to move the conversation forward, you could have emailed me or Derek Jane to participate on the panel instead of writing this long comment down here. Mm. We want to have a healthy conversation not a negative one and this panel isn't just for trans women we're also opening the conversation up to trans men because we rarely hear their story the goal of this panel and every panel that we've done and will do in the future is to bridge the gap between communities not divide or further perpetuate stereotypes and so then she inboxed me mm. and she said i'm sorry that was all she said and i just said no more you know and i responded to her but she just responded and said, "You know, I'm sorry." And I said, "It's all good. I understand your concern." So we did our best to put together a panel of intelligent trans men and trans women to move the needle in conversation forward.
0: Wow! And see, just by being professional, you were able. And she she apologized because she know because there's just some people out there who just assume everything. Maybe she maybe she wants to be yeah. on the panel. Maybe she's jealous that she's not on the panel. Like there's so many. Things that be, right. could be going like the person who called me out on that Kathy Griffin post—it was a white person with a private page. Mm-hmm. So I was like, "I what I wanted to say was thank you for calling me out on my business page, but unfortunately yours is pro, yours is private, and I promise you there's probably no black people on it." But I didn't say that because right. it's not worth it. I do want to, um, right. I do want to go back to Kevin Hart for one moment and just say thank you for mentioning. Because, you know, I come I come at it, I come through 90% of my life as a comedian. I look at everything with that filter. So the fact that you said, I understand that, but there could be some 14-year-old black boy, white boy, who is gay, who's a fan of Kevin Hart, who reads that tweet, and now thinks, oh, shit, I'm, a, I'm bad. Kevin Hart would beat me up with a house if I was his kid. And so thank what? you for thank you for letting me see it at that point because I didn't really put those two and two together. And that's actually very important message to get out. So thank you for that. Yeah. Of course. Right. Because, you know, when I was 14, there was no Twitter and you know, my, I Mm -hmm. actually lived in a, I actually lived, there was a dumpster fire in Denver the other day on the news and I was like, Oh look, how did they get a picture of my house when I was a kid? Because I grew up (laughs) in a dumpster fire <laughs> and i grew up i didn't need twitter i grew up with my parents saying you know queers and faggots and you know if you're ever a faggot i'll kill you, you know, i i went through all that so i totally right. i i appreciate you correcting my thought process on that um oh well thank you oh yeah no i'm always open to learn and to be corrected because i'm not perfect if i was perfect Oh, I almost said if I was perfect, I'd be president. But we know that ain't true no more. So <laughs> change the subject. Yeah. So I um, I know I've kept you for so long. I could talk to you all day, but I just want to talk about um, one more thing before I let you go. Uh-huh. And it's chapter ten, and it's your chapter about integrity. And you share, and I think this was this was the chapter I connected with the most. You mm. sh- you share a story about a friend of yours working at at a um, a high-end store and you guys come up with this scheme to, to go shopping, <laughs> to go shopping. You went shopping, right? And <laughs> yeah. you, you, you you end this, you know, you talk about karma and you end the story with you dated somebody who, um, in, you know, to get back at you for you not wanting to be them. He stole all the clothes that you stole. So it was almost like karma came mm-hmm. back. He stole clothes that were you were Absolutely. never meant to have. I thought that was such a great life lessons. Now I, because you share these, you're so truthful. I was a little motherfucking klepto when I was a kid. So why are you? I, Oh, so in my early, early twenties, 21, 22, I worked for a, um, a large warehouse company, like a department store warehouse Uh company. And my friend worked there. She worked in the jewelry department and, um, she got me a Mm part-time job and then randomly one day we were sitting there and I was like, wow, do you remember the cologne cool water? by David off, I I was cleaning out the jewel. I was cleaning out the fragrance section and I was like, oh, this smells so good. And she was the manager of the department. I was just part-time. And she said, well, why don't you just take it? And I was like, what? She goes, yeah, just take it. Well, let me tell you. (laughs) You continue to take. That bottle of perfume went all the way to Mont Blanc pens and watches and whatever we could both get. And, and she was the manager. She was the manager. Yes. And, you know, I was like 22. She was like 20. And um, we didn't leave a shift without something in our pocket because, at, wow. because at that moment, so I'm reading what you wrote and then I'm starting. And then of course that, that comes to my head. Cause I'm like, wow, I really connect with this because this happened to me. And mm-hmm. so I start thinking, I why did I do that? Was it just because, you know, I don't, I, was it because I just wanted these things? No, it was, it was the excitement of, of doing it. And then once I got better, you know, once I had integrity when I was older, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't do that. You know, I don't steal now, but in my early twenties, you know, I was, I was in survival mode and that's where I'm getting like. I was, I was in survival mode. I'm not going to compare my life to your life, but my childhood was fucked. So I Mm -hmm. spent many years in survival mode where it was just about me and nobody cares about me. My family doesn't care about me. The world I'm gay. The world doesn't care about me. I can't even adopt a kid in Florida. So fuck everyone. Fuck. I'm going to take as much from these bitches as I can. That was how I Mm -hmm. thought. That's how I thought. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What was the thing in your life that happened for you to say, you know what, that's, I'm, I, I can't be doing that? Well, because I started to notice
1: the different ebbs and flows in my career. And I felt like it was tied to some of the, um, some of that behavior, some of that, because it's really criminal
0: of that criminal behavior. Well, now don't um, you don't have to say criminal, but it is. <laughs> oh Lord, <I'm, laughs> I might as well. I, I might as well be at the mall, Luton. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead.
1: Right, and, and like I started to think about at the root of it, it's because you have a fear that you don't have enough, or that you won't have enough. And and so, like you said, it was survival mode. You know, and I just felt like, well, Craig, stop being afraid that you're not going to have enough. And stop, you know, thinking that you can, um, try to stash, you know, to, to try to, you know, create some sort of an, uh, of an arsenal of stuff so that you, so, so that you don't lack. But then, like I said, like things will be going really well in my business or, you know, something, you know, I'll, I'll be moving forward in my career or whatever. Things will be going great. And then I'll do something like that. And then I felt like it would just take me backwards. And I would, uh, my mind would always go to that and be like, well, if you hadn't done that, then it probably would, you know. So I just, I started to make the connection. And then I just started to become a more more moral person. It goes back to what we were just saying about Kevin Hart and giving people the latitude to grow like, and evolve. And I just grew out of that and I evolved out of it. And I just realized, I believe in karmic energy.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, I that do, energy that you
1: put out, it, yeah, that energy that you put out, it has to come back. Good, bad, or indifferent. It may not come back from the person that you hurt or the person that you helped, but it's definitely coming back.
0: And when it comes back, you're going to know why it came back. Right. Because you're a good person. person Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's why I always, like when people, I, 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 I try to watch the news. You know, you're watching the news. America's burning. People are protesting, looting, rioting. I try to remind myself, I don't know what these people are going through because there was a time where I was looting from a place that I worked.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, and I think that, yeah, go ahead. Go, go ahead. No. So I, well, I was just gonna, <laughs> going. you know, well, we're both podcast radio people. So we're, that's, this is just what happens, but go ahead. Right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, so I, I try to remind myself of that, which I don't think a lot of people do there. They just want to blame and they want to say, Oh, look at that horrible person. Well, yeah, it looks a horrible person, but you're not, you don't live in their shoes. You don't, you are not that person. You don't know what's happening in their life. And this all just came to me a couple of weeks ago. I was, I'm in therapy. I have a therapist. I'm not a, I, I'm not embarrassed I talk about it all the time on the podcast but he therapy a- is a good thing. it's great and he asked me I think I think a lot of people need therapy and he asked me this simple question he said how long have you not been in survival mode mm. and I did not even expect it right I didn't even think of life like that and it just changed my it it, it just really pushed me to look at my entire life and to think What my teenage years, my twenties, like I was in survival mode. It was all about me. It was all about, I have to get to tomorrow. Um, I don't care about anyone else. It's, I need to be happy. Fuck everything. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think a lot of Americans are at that point right now where I was 27 years ago.
1: Well, we have to remember that we are at the height of a pandemic. Before this happened, we forgot about so that. A lot of people, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And unemployment was at what, like 40 some million people had applied for unemployment. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were denied unemployment. Some people got their stimulus packages, other people did not. So people were already suffering. So some of this looting that we see isn't because of the George Floyd thing. Some of right. them, because when you look at these videos, it's not just black people lo- no. some of looting.
2: But
1: some people are looting for survival. I don't care what color they are. Some people are are looting for survival. They've gone through their savings. You know, they're panicking. They're afraid. But I believe that that the looting is in the minority. I think the majority of the people that are out there protesting and demonstrating are doing it because there has to be a change. There has to be a social change. Yes. And I think that the media has amplified what we see. And making it look like it's just black people out there destroying the defacing because i've seen video of policemen actually defacing
0: property oh i saw the video it, uh, to- i saw a video of policemen encouraging a white woman to spray paint and the videos actually that's what i don't understand like everything's on video why are you why are people doing stupid shit? but the, the police were actually like encouraging her telling her what to spray paint this white woman on the on the wall so I think it, like you said, I think it's important for people who are listening to this episode to realize that the, the people looting aren't always the protesters, like the, the peaceful people that are out there with their signs. And they're like, we need change. Those aren't the people smashing windows. That is an entirely different thing that's happening socially and financially. Right. Right right exactly right, and right. i think that there are there are, right. there are people who are trying to survive there are people that are that that
1: again that have been uh going without because of the whole pandemic they lost their job months ago and so this is an opportunity for some of them and again i believe those people are in the minority that's this is an opportunity for some of them to kind of make up for what they've lost if you will
2: yeah
0: yeah and i'm not and and i want people to know like we're not saying, go out and loot. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying it's a good thing, but what I'm trying to say is you don't know what situation people are in. So try not to judge them for their actions at that moment. Cause you don't know what's happening behind the scenes. It's something that Correct. flight, it's something that I always talk about as a flight attendant. When you're standing up there, you're the lead flight attendant and somebody walks on the plane and they're being a complete asshole you know, still try to be nice to them because you don't know what's happened. They could have just had to get naked at TSA and they had their toothpaste taken away. That costs $18. Mm-hmm. Like You don't know <laughs> what's going on. But I will say this. <laughs> when I saw that chick stealing a cheesecake, I shut the TV off and went to bed. I was done.
1: Oh my God. we talked about. I was again. done.
0: I was done. She's walking down the street with a cheesecake. I said, it's time for bed. It's 7.30. I don't give a damn. right <laughs> Craig, I've I, kept you so long. Well, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, you know, she. I, I'm not going to go without this cheesecake. I, I have to have the cheesecake.
0: <laughs> That's what, <laughs> like, I mean, I, I'm sorry. Yes, the world, the country is in shambles right now. We have a president who would who's a train wreck. But I'm sorry. I needed to see that woman stealing a cheesecake. It just made me, it just, I just thought, you know what? I'd fucking say, because I'm jealous that this bitch got a cheesecake. You're right.
1: Greg, Greg I'm but sorry. But I think You're... that this is how we affect change, too. Yes. Like, every every major movement in this country, uh, we were able to move and make and create new policy as a result of this type of demonstration, whether it was civil rights, whether it was women's rights, whether it was the Me Too movement. Like, this is what it, the gay rights movement, like, this is what it takes. This is what it's going to take, unfortunately. Because here's the thing. No, I, it is. And I, yeah, absolutely. And, I, and, I, and I'll end with this, because the reality is, if they, if Minnesota had simply arrested those other three officers, all of this stuff wouldn't have happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, why they haven't been arrested yet, I have no clue. Um, they basically stood there and watched that officer kill him. So, you know, but... But and this and I'm gonna have to have you come back on because this will have to be a part two because we didn't even talk about the judicial system and how it's not an indiv- it's not the individual poli- Well, yes, there are racist cops, of course. Um, I kind of have uh-huh. this theory that racist men, racist white men, tend to like to go into the police because then they can have power. But I don't know if that's uh-huh. true. But I kind of have a theory uh-huh. about it. Um, but yeah, it's almost like the entire judicial system has to be torn down and rebuilt because it was built in a time when people were trying to keep black people down. And that's what I don't think people understand. Yeah. Craig, you are coming back on this show. I'm not even going to, I'm not, I'm not even going to Yeah, This is your invite. Thank you so much. I, like I said at the beginning of this episode, please never stop writing, never stop talking. We need you. You are a brilliant man. And I am glad that I know you. So thank thank you you so so much. much.
1: I appreciate that. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, well, I'm not that lucky. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) I'll tell you I'm crazy. Okay. Listen, before I let you go, you have to play let's get grounded where I give you the name of an air. I, you pick an airline and then I ask you the question. Okay. It's not long. So, American Airlines, JetBlue, Spirit, Delta, Frontier or United. I didn't I didn't hear what you said. I just heard you name some of the airlines. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Saying? So this is my game. Let's get grounded where you pick an airline and then I ask you the question and then you answer it. So American okay. American, JetBlue, Delta, Spirit, Frontier, United, Southwest or Alaska. Oh. I'm going to go with Delta and Delta. Delta. Okay. If you were offered a free vacation anywhere in the world, where is the one destination you would not want to visit? In the world. So if I said to you, Craig, I'm going to pay for you to go on vacation. You would say anywhere, but. Iraq. That should just be a given, but I'll let you. (laughs) I want to ask you. No, (laughs) I'm going to ask you another question because I really want to know this personally. So. You want me to change you want to change the location. No, no, Iraq is Iraq. No, I wouldn't want to go there either. Oh, okay. I, I this I don't know if this is racist, but I have no interest in going to the Middle East. Because <laughs> right, right, right. Because I know no, I don't how, think that's racist. What? No, because I know what they want to do to me if they know that I like penis. So why would I go? Correct. I ain't going there. All right, right, let me ask you this just cuz I want to know the answer. On a flight okay. on a flight from Los Angeles to Sydney. If you could sit next to any famous person, dead or alive, who would it be in the Oprah? Oprah? She's alive. So would you want Gail there too or just Oprah? Because you know Gail would take away your. No, I just want to be taken Oprah. What would you um what what's one question you would ask her?
1: Oh my God. Um you see, I never thought about a question I would ask her. I've always thought about what I would
0: want to say to her. But the question that I would want to ask her Oh well what will you what would you say to her then? What would yeah, what would you say to her? I would wanna I would just wanna thank her
1: and say to her that I I I'm grateful for what she's done for humanity and how she's used her life, her talent, her gifts, and her and her resources to shift culture, to shift minds, to elevate minds, to to, to she's taught us how to be giving. Like she's literally taught us what philanthropy looks like, what selflessness looks
2: like.
0: Mm-hmm. And one, she didn't have to do that. No, she didn't, she didn't have to do that. I, you know, I've always been a big fan of Oprah. And the one thing that she has said that I've stuck with for a long time was she said something to the effect of learning is never done you will, you should spend the rest of your life becoming a better person, trying to be a better person, reading, educating yourself. you should spend your mm-hmm. entire life in in some and I don't mean I don't think she meant school liking but you should be always trying to be better and I don't mean hashtag be mm-hmm. best I mean be bet, like be a better person. And you can only do that by educating yourself. And that's something that I've, I've always tried to incorporate into my life. And, and the Maya Angelou quote, when you know better, you do better. Like, and you wrote that actually in your book too. That was Mm -hmm. the, that was Mm -hmm. the, that was the beginning of the integrity chapter. So yeah. You are fabulous. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, please let everyone know Thanks. where they can find you, how they can listen to your podcast, your your YouTube show, your books. Please let everyone know where they can um, get you your stuff.
1: CraigTheWriterStewart.com. From there, you can get to everything. My social media, my YouTube, my podcast, the books. everything is there. Craig the writer Stewart.com.
0: You all heard that. And let me tell you. I don't care what color you are. You could be from Mars. You're going to read this man's writing and you're going to be like, oh shit, I think he's writing to me. Craig, you're a fantastic. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. Have a great day. You
0: too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this week's episode of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, please subscribe to the podcast. You'll get alerts when new episodes air. Also check out Flight Attendant Joe on Facebook and Instagram. And if you still haven't had enough of me, (laughs) check out the blog at www.flightattendantjoe.com.